it is for everyone. So just uh, continue to look for that as the, in the days ahead. Also, we have our Veracity Project is coming to, soon for our students. Um, and this is just an all-day thing, October 12th, where it's really based on truth, and it, it focuses on truth and uh, being able to do some work in the community as well. So make sure you get signed up for that. The cost is $30 age, uh, for grades 6 through 12th. Um, and uh, you can find more information at our website, tsf-church.com. Uh, also, next Sunday is Baptism Sunday. So if you uh, are interested in being baptized and have questions, and uh, please contact us uh, at tsf-church.com, and we would love to have conversation with you about that and possibly see you baptized next Sunday. Um, also, the last thing I have before we get rolling here is um, our prayer and worship ministry is starting rest very soon. It's September 9th. Again, we want to be a church that is really focusing on, on prayer and really focusing on learning to, to worship together as a congregation. And this is one of those, one of those times. Uh, again, it's the, it's the second Sunday or the second Monday of every month. The second Monday of every month. It is a come and go thing. And from 6.30 to 7.30, though, there is child care. So if you have kids and want to be a part of that, um, for that first hour, there is child care. So just remember that um, this morning. So uh, again, my name is Jared Law. It is good to be with you this morning. Joe, our, our senior pastor, is, should be getting back from his cruise today. Um, he and Mindy got to go, and they should be well-rested. And uh, I hope they had a great time. And it sounded like maybe they avoided the hurricanes over there. But I haven't heard from Joe, so we'll see. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I heard from him this morning. It was good. It was good. So, um, so again, my name is Jared Law. Uh, up on the screen here, you'll see a picture of my family. Um, my wife and my four children. If, you ever, if I ever thought I would say that, that is, it's crazy. Uh, so my wife's name is Whitney. She's obviously the pretty one. My oldest boy is Tucker. He's on the right. Uh, he is eight years old, and he is very loud. Obviously, you heard him. Uh, the next is Piper. Piper's six years old. Uh, Piper just lost uh, her first top tooth yesterday. I was sad because now it's like that awkward stage, you know, of maybe two front teeth for Christmas. That's what we're praying for. Uh, our next one is Brooks. He is four. He's on the left over there. Uh, and then our baby is Blair. And she is the, the quintessential baby of the family. She is a spitfire, and she, is a, she protects her own. So I'm sorry if she gets aggressive with your child in that room over there, but she's got three older siblings, and she will protect her own. So this is my family. I love them very much, and uh, we are grateful to be here. Just to tell you a little bit of our story, me and Whitney have been married almost 11 years. Um, and the, the day, it was essentially the day I graduated from seminary, I visited a church in Denton, Texas. And that's kind of where we started our, our marriage journey from. Uh, we served at a church in Denton for about four and a half years. Uh, we loved it there. We loved the people there. Uh, but really, what we started to realize as we started to, it was a church plant when we started there. We, it had been going maybe a year, year and a half. Um, and it was probably running in the... 80 people range or 100 or something like that. Well, about four years later, we uh, grew into a new building and we were running more in like the 600 person range, uh, which sounds great. And it is great, other than the fact that I really felt like we became babysitters. We didn't become pastors that were discipling people. We became babysitters of people. 
And if you've ever babysitted kids, adults are way worse, right? My wife does pediatrics, and she would take pediatric nursing over adult nursing any day of the week. I know she would, because adults are complainers, and we're whiners, you know. But we came to that point where we weren't making disciples, and me and Woody, we kind of came to a really hard decision that we just felt like uh, God was calling us uh, to a different season. And so God called us out of there, and we thought, well, surely we'll be able to find something pretty quickly. You know, God has a ministry ready for us, and he has something ready for us. And uh, a friend of mine said to me as we were uh, leaving that church, and he was like, well, what if you get out there and you can't find anything? You know, what if you get out there and you're walking the desert? And I was like, you know what? I think at this point we're prepared to do that. Now, when I said that, I didn't realize it was going to be five years later. <laughs> and uh, I was a stay-at-home dad for like two or three years in there. I did a lot of welding of stuff, and I did some other random stuff. Whitney worked a lot. Uh, I worked for an electrical company and dug a lot of ditches. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. Uh, it's, it's, it's hot and hard work to dig ditches in Oklahoma. And so there's a lot of clay up there. I don't know if you guys have ever dug in clay before. It's not exciting. But you know what? All these five years, I would find myself getting discouraged, and Whitney every time would say, you know what? It's got to be a God thing. There's a God thing that you haven't gotten a position and haven't gotten a place and I didn't want to believe her uh, but it was true and uh, we ended up finding a place in Oklahoma we served that for a year and we knew we wouldn't be there long but we felt like it was what God had us to kind of jump start us back and so uh, now we're in here God has called us here and we believe that all of those years have led us to this place and to this uh, to this church and we are excited to be a part of of the sanctuary and be a part of what, what God is doing. And so, and this, uh, this morning, we're going to be dealing with Proverbs 31, and it's probably a little different perspective maybe than you've looked at before, but it, hopefully it's going to kind of put in perspective a little bit what, what our journey has been like of what, really what the church looks like. And I grew up in, in some good churches. My parents are actually here. My dad has been an associate pastor, music minister my whole life, and we've grown up in some, some really good churches, but I think we found, uh, what did it really look like to be the church and look like the church and do what the church does? And, and, and that, that five years is, was probably a real proving ground for those things. And so, first things first, I don't necessarily use a lot of illustrations, but I, I like this one, and so I'm going to use it. So up on the screen here, you're going to see a picture. And you're going to see, um, I put uh, three different colors up here. So in case that you uh, are colorblind or whatever, how many people have seen this picture before? If you haven't, you've been buried under a rock somewhere. Okay? So this is what I want you to do. I want you to look at the picture, and there are two pictures here. All right? There's two different pictures in each one. And at first, some people are going to see a young woman. Right? Who sees a young woman? All right. Now, others at first glance will see an old woman. Who sees the old woman? Anybody see the old woman? Of course you do. And so, so this image has been around for forever, right? And so really what I want to talk about is this image. It's the same picture, right? The image doesn't change. But as our perspective changes, we, we start to see both pictures. I can still see some of you are like telling your friend. I was like, I don't see anything in that picture. But what you're going to start to see is as you, as you look at the picture more and more, the picture does not change, right? But your perspective of the picture changes. 
All right? And so, as we talk about Proverbs 31, I, th I really think there are two pictures that God really wants us to see. So obviously, we have the picture of this ideal woman, right? The ideal woman, the ideal wife, the ideal bride. And so, what woman does not want to be this ideal woman? If you can see the young woman, who would rather be the young woman than the old woman? I mean, you can say that. It's okay. But what woman doesn't want to be the ideal woman? Every woman does. Every woman wants to be that ideal woman, that perfect woman. And we all strive for this, we hope. I mean, you, you may not tell everybody this. You may dress down and be like, I don't care what people think. But this is probably something, at least at some point in your life, you have strived for, is to be this ideal woman. And who wouldn't, right? She's virtuous. She's faithful. She's reverent. Strong. She endures. She's well-rounded. She's charitable. She provides. She's well-dressed. She's the wife of a good husband. She's honorable. She's wise. She's kind. She's a good mother. She's praiseworthy. She excels, and she fears the Lord. My goodness, that's hard. That is a lot of stuff. And I really think, women, if, if you've read this before in Proverbs 31 and studied it, how many of you have just wanted to hang it all up and been like, I can't do that. I can't do that. And so you just kind of hang that thing up and you're like, you know what, that's, that's not a real person. That's not a real picture. Right? And who wouldn't? That list is crazy. But you know what? That's kind of that first picture is, when you think of Proverbs 31, that's what you think of, is those last verses. But I think intently over time, like that picture we saw earlier, I think you start to see a second picture. So we here in this day and age have the opportunity to see the Bible as a whole, right? When this was first written, there was no New Testament. There was no Jesus came to earth as a baby, so all of a sudden, we have that perspective to see it from a gospel lens. And I think if you do, you not only see the ideal woman, you see the ideal bride of Christ, his church. Have you ever looked at Proverbs 31 as the ideal bride of Christ, the church? So in Revelation 19.7, it says this, Let us rejoice and be glad, and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. The righteous acts of the saints. Man, so Jesus came to get a bride. He is coming back for his bride. And he is coming back for the bride that has closed herself in these fine linens, bright and clean. Because what are the fine linens? They're the righteous acts of the saints. Jesus isn't coming back for just any church. He's coming for the one that has done the righteous acts of the saints. The husband and wife picture is the closest picture we have to Jesus and his bride, right? I mean, it's compared almost exactly in Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your husbands just as the church submits to Christ. Not the most popular passage in the world, I get it. But it's the truth. Why? Because it's this picture of the church. 
It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. It's the perfect picture. I don't think it's any stretch of the imagination to understand why the world is going the way it's going is mainly because the family is going where it's going. Marriage is no longer sacred, right? Any reason is okay to not be married or to stay, you know, living together without marriage, right? Any reason. Well, you know, I'll lose my child support for this. You guys, I don't think we understand that as we destroy the marriage, we're destroying the church. As we destroy the family, we're destroying the church. Why? Because that's the picture. Jesus comes for his bride. That's about as clear as it gets. It's this perfect relationship. So now let's actually look at Proverbs 31, as that was my intro. Sorry, it was kind of long. So Proverbs 31, I think, ideally, who does, whoever thinks of the first nine verses of Proverbs 31, is there anyone? Right? When somebody says Proverbs 31, you think of that ideal woman. That's the first thing. And I, it is true. It is talked about, and it is important. I want my daughters to be this woman. We have some of these passages on our walls. So don't get me wrong as we start to sift through this that I see this as unimportant because it's very important. I want my daughters to strive to be this woman. But I want them to more importantly strive to be a part of a church that wants to look like this. And so it's, let's, let's start here. So Proverbs 31 doesn't start with a woman at all. This starts with a king. It starts with a mama's advice to her son. This is a difficult passage because my mom is right there. She gave me lots of good advice. But this, this mom is not about talking about the ideal woman first. What does she talk about first? She talks about the ideal king. If you want a good woman, you better get yourself together and be a good king. Mama doesn't mess around here. She doesn't point at the woman first. She points at the king. And she says, if you want a good woman, you be a good king. And these are some of the things she lays out. Again, through this gospel lens of who the king is. And so Proverbs 31, 1 through 9, again, talks about the king, the first king. And some of the first things she talks about is this. The king is urged to abstain from wealth, women, and wine. Uh, husbands, hint, hint. Abstain from wealth, women, and wine. Those things, sounds like three things we probably should hang, not hang out with a lot. It says, this, this, I mean, the mama knows what she's talking about, right? She knows that these things lead down the wrong road. Then she says this. I'm not going to hang out on those because there's a lot that goes in there. But this is what the king gives up. He gives up these rights to lead people. He gives up these rights that other people may have because of who he is and what his title and his role is. 
I remember somebody else who did the same thing. Jesus, anybody? Then next, a good king gives speech to the mute. A good king gives speech to the mute. It says it right here. In verse 8, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Speak up for those who can't. That's what the king does. He gives a voice to those who can't. And that's what a good king does. Next, a good king defends the rights of the needy. Verse 9, open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. You guys, the king is not about what he wants. He's about what is right and what is true. The next, a good king judges righteously. A good king is honest. He judges righteously. Very simple. She does some simple things. Abstain from wealth, women, and wine. Those roads lead to nowhere. Give speech to the mute. Defend the rights of the needy. And judge righteously. You guys, mama explains a good king. Long before she gets to the ideal woman. And I think as we look at that, and as we look at who Jesus is, it's a foreshadowing picture of this exact thing. That Jesus is a good king. And that's what we have to understand long before we get to the woman. And so, let's, let's think this way. So, now that we have seen this picture of Mama's good king, we're going to get to the woman. And I really want you to look at this, again, through the perspective of what we have as the church. And what we are called to be as the church. This next section, we're going to go through a lot of, a lot of passages here. A lot of verses. Because I think the Bible speaks its own truth. It doesn't need my help. But you know what? I think, again, we see this woman as unattainable, right? This isn't a real story. You know, nobody can do what this woman does. But I think we're missing one important fact. She is not who she is because of who she is. She is who she is because of who her king is. Her identity lies in her king. Man, this woman is the way she is because of who her king is. In Colossians 2.20 it says this, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This woman realizes she is not her own. She understands she's been bought with a price. You guys, we as the church, we've been bought with a price. We are not our own. It says it right there. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Again, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says this. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? 
for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glory, glorify God in your body. Again, there's this picture, right, of this woman, this great woman, but she realized it's not about her. She is not about her own business. She is about her king's business. Her life and her, action, her actions reflect those of her king. And I think as we start to look through this list of who she is and what she does, you're going to realize this is what the king is asking. This is what the king not only is asking, this is what the king does and has done. She's reflecting her king. She's not doing all these things because she thinks it's a good idea. She's not doing all of these things because she had a dream one night and was like, oh, I need to do all these things. That way I, I make sure I'm the ideal woman. No, she looks at her king and she says, what is, what is he doing? I want to do what he's doing. I think very often we get caught up in our own lives and we forget, what is our king about? And that's what I should be about. So now let's look at this picture. Proverbs 31, 11. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. First thing, she's trustworthy. She is a trustworthy woman. Let's look at Luke 8 for a second. Luke 8, 11 through 15. This is the parable of the sower, right? It talks about the four seeds that are sown. And in verse 12 it says, Those beside the road are those who have heard the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they will not believe and be saved. Then you have those on the rocky soil who when they hear receive the word with joy and these have no firm root. They believe for a while and in the time of temptation fall away. You have the third seed, the seed which fell among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. Fifteen, but the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. She is trustworthy with what she's been given. Again, this, this ideal bride understands what she has been saved from. And she understands what she has been saved for. She is trustworthy with what she's been given. As a church, can we, can we look at Jesus and say, I, I've been trustworthy. Next, she keeps her lamp shining. Matthew 15, or Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your God who is in heaven. She keeps her lamp shining. Anybody remember that song, Hide It Under a Bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. Wow, I'm old. All right. My kids probably don't even know that song, which is sad. Oh, I lied. She keeps her lamp shining. You guys, we are, to, we are called to be different in this world. A lot of times, I'll look at Whitney, I'll think, 
and we'll talk about it and we're like, I think I'm the crazy one. Do you ever think, do you ever look around at your life and think, maybe I'm the crazy one? I think it's a good place to be. You guys, we are made to look different. We are made to be steady in the face of this world. It says it right there, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your God who is in heaven. You think people aren't watching? People are watching. You know who has been hardest on the church in the last hundred years? The church. We're hard to deal with. Shine your light so that others can see it. Not for our own sake, but for his. You guys, those are the words of Jesus. Don't hide it under a bushel. So again, if you think you're the crazy one, maybe that's okay. Because we are going to look different. If you're trying to look like the rest of the world and try to fit in, you're going to be like the rest of the world. Next, she is a faithful steward. In Proverbs 31, like 15 through 20, it talks about the faithful steward. I'm going to read you a definition of a faithful steward. A person whose job is to serve meals and take care of passengers on a train, airplane, or ship. Someone who protects or is responsible for money, property, etc. A person whose job is to manage the land and property of another person. That's a lot of stuff. You guys, we have been put in charge of some important things. And this woman, same as the ideal woman, right? All of these things that it talks about, she rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with the strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the, to the distaff and her hands grasp the spit. My goodness. Like, I think this woman had a longer day than we have now. Right? How does this woman accomplish all of these things? Matthew 24, 45 through 46 says this. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? Who the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. God has given us a purpose as a church. And it's not about us. It's not about furthering ourselves. It's not about furthering our careers. And the question is, what will Jesus find us doing? What will Jesus find the sanctuary doing when he comes back? Will he find us as being faithful stewards of what he's given us? Next, she bears fruit. We just read it in verse 16. And John, uh, John 15 says this, I am the vine... You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. She bears fruit. And this is not a sign of who she is. This is a direct sign of what her relationship is with her king. This is this idea. Apart from the vine, we don't bear fruit. 
Your, your bearing of fruit is not a result of your circumstances. It's not a result of your husband or your wife or your children or your lack of job. Your bearing fruit is a direct result of your relationship with your king. Period. It's not anybody else's problem. And when we decide to separate from Jesus, we are not going to bear fruit. We're going to be pointing fingers. And it's always somebody else's fault. I love it. Because it does. It puts this idea on us that, man, it's to stay connected. And when we feel life getting hard and we feel like we're reaching for straws, I think we can start to realize we're starting to slowly die because we've separated ourselves. I mean, it goes on to say in that passage that those ones that don't bear fruit are cut up and they're burned. <laughs> what do you do with dead branches? You burn them, right? You put them in a big pile and you light them on fire. Why? Because they're no longer attached to the vine. They're no longer bearing fruit. Are we connected to the vine? It's very simple. Are we bearing fruit? Next. She extends help to the poor and the needy. James 1.27 says this, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now this idea of religion is pretty beat on this day and age, right? Nobody wants to be religious. I don't want to be religious. I want to have a relationship. That is 100% true. But pure and undefiled religion is this. It's about giving up for somebody else. The and the church in Acts 4 is commanded to do this very thing. It says this in Acts 4, 34. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as had need. Man, do we do that? Do we do that as a church? Are we always about our own gain? Or do we see a need and do we want to meet the need, whatever the, whatever the cost? What's interesting about this part specifically, I think, is this is exactly what her king was about, right? This is that perfect reflection. Jesus was always about the needy. He wasn't going to turn them away. Right? Whatever was going on, he was going to make it happen. She wants to do what she sees her husband doing. She's going to do that exact thing. She's going to reflect that. We should be about our father's business. If we want to know what we want to do as a church, let's pick it up and see what he did. Let's see what he's calling us to do. And one of those is the poor and the needy. And I know for a fact this church strives to do that. And I'm excited and, and grateful to be a part of a church that does see those things. And does see a need and meet a need. It's amazingly important. And not only is it important, it is biblical. The poor, Right? They can't defend the poor. I always make a joke that, you know, that safety is for the rich. You know, they have these commercials of all of these cars that stop by themselves. 
which I think is a horrible idea, just for the record. But they stop on their own, and they have 57,000 airbags. I mean, everything under the sun. I think they have snorkels in them if you go underwater. <laughs> and then you go look at the price, and you're like, well, I'm just going to die. <laughs> because I can't afford that, right? We have this idea that safety is for the rich. And it's true. Our society, right? It's about what we can do. The American dream, gain more. And who can we step on on the way? And Jesus did just the opposite with the needy and with children. Why? Because they don't have anybody to speak up for them. They can't speak up for themselves. They can't do it themselves. And so we as a church are called to do it for them. Why? Because the, that's what the king is doing. That's what the king does. Next, she's wise. I don't know anybody who doesn't want to be wise. James 1.5 says this, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. I think this woman is wise for one reason. She asked. She asked for it. She is around her king, and she seeks his delight. Right? This whole series has been about wisdom and foolishness. And my dad is very good to tell me, read a Proverbs every day. Half the time I read one, it doesn't make any sense at all. But God, it's very practical, right? If you read through it, a lot of it talks about, it's funny, it can compare a lot of negative things to women, which I think is ironic. When you get to Proverbs 31, you get this ideal woman. But that is what Proverbs is about is that gaining wisdom. It gives you some concrete, hands-on things to do. Pretty straightforward. She is wise. Next, she is clothed in the armor of strength. In verse 25, it says, Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. I love this one. She smiles at the future. How many, how many people wake up in the morning and are like, man, I am happy about the way the world is going. You turn on the news and you're like, man, this is exciting. Really exciting. Did you see a giant storm is about to kill hundreds of people? Did you see there was another shooting? Nothing about our world is exciting about the future when we look at it through the world's eyes. And through the world's perspective. No, we open up and another shooting somewhere in West Texas. Man, and yet this woman is saying she smiles at the future. She seems a little like she's crazy. But I think it's important because of what, this, again, who this woman is and what she's done to prepare. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, you should be pretty familiar putting on the whole armor of God. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, and against worldly forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. This woman is, again, she is wise, right? She ain't bringing a knife to a gunfight, people. She's not stepping out of her door thinking, I'm going to take this thing on myself. She has prepared herself. 
She knows her king. She knows what her king is about. And above all, she can smile at the future. Why? Because she knows how it ends. She knows who holds the future. You guys, we serve a king who knows the future. So as a church, we can't live in fear. Why? We know how it ends. Does that make anything easy? Everything easy at times? No. But it gives us that everlasting hope that we should never lose hold of. But we have to prepare ourselves. It's funny because she talks about, they talk about here, she's armed in strength and all this. And then it goes to the New Testament. It tells us exactly what to do. Exactly what to put on. Exactly how to prepare. Exactly what to wear. I think oftentimes when we go out in the world, we're scared about our faith and scared about a lot of things. Why? Because we're taking a knife to a gunfight. We don't prepare. We walk in on a Sunday morning and we go to church and then the rest of the week we're out there trying to like stop fiery arrows because we haven't put in the time. Remember, this woman, that's all she's about is her father's business. That is it. She has prepared herself. She is strong because of who her king is. Again, all of this giant list of ideals. She is this way because of who her king is. She bears fruit because she stays connected to the vine. And she can laugh at the future because she knows how it ends. Next, she is not idle. Like this woman is put in charge of all of this stuff. She's always looking out for a household. She's always diligent to observe and manage her domestic duties, right? All of these things. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12 says this. For even when we were with you, we used, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Very simple. Earn it before you eat it. Idleness, man. It reeks of an undisciplined life. When we are undisciplined, man, we smell of this world. Idleness. I always laugh, too, because it seems like this day and age is like so many— how many people see so many jobs out there that it's like people are working so hard to not have to work that you think if they just put half that effort into a job, man, they'd be good at it. But like we are all about trying to find jobs that we don't have to work. All right, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? I'm going to start an online dating service for farmers. <laughs> Sorry if you met your spouse that way. Truly am. But what an idea for farmers, farmersonly.com. Somebody was sitting in their mom's basement going, okay, I got to do something. But what, what do I do that I don't do anything? Idleness, man. When we are idle and we're not about our father's business, we will smell of this world. We will be of this world. Because you know what? Somebody is taking your time. She is blessed. 3128 says this. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises 
her saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. She's blessed. Adam Clark, there's commentary, says this. They are taught to fear the Lord, the fear of the Lord, and obedience to his testimonies. Therefore, they call her blessed. So they are of a decent, orderly, respectable, religious behavior. So she is called blessed because of what she has taught her children. How many of us want to be good parents? I do. I'm not very good at it. I'm hoping to be better. But they call her blessed because of what she sought them. It goes, uh, Adam Clark goes on to say this. Her husband is so satisfied with her conduct towards himself, his household, his business, and their children, that he praiseth her. He shows himself sensible of her excellence and encourages her in her work by the commendations he bestows. I think it's very simply this. God blesses the churches that are about his business. He, this woman is blessed, again, because of what she's doing, who she's about. And I think as, as churches, I think you see, I think God blesses those that are about his business. And I'm not talking financially or numbers. I'm talking about impact of the kingdom. Plenty of big churches make no impact. Churches that are about their father's business make an impact. And I think those he blesses. The last one. She fears Yahweh. She fears the Lord. We go back to Proverbs 9, verse 10 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. She fears the Lord. That was the one thing. When I married a woman, I wanted to marry a woman that feared the Lord. If I've done nothing else in my life, that's one thing I've done. It's funny. Many churches are about, right, the next big thing. What is the next big thing, right? What is the next page out of somebody else's handbook that is going to get me to that next level? I think, think about it this way. How would our churches change if we no longer prize charming facilities and superficially attractive ministries, but instead bask in the pleasure of our king, whose delight is in a woman who fears the Lord? This Proverbs 31 woman finds success in all of her endeavors because her eyes are focused on her king. She is this way, not again, because of what family she was born into or how pretty she is. She is this way because she understands who her king is. And she wants to be about his business. And I think it's a perfect picture of the church. What do we put our time and effort into? Even as individual Christians, what do we put that time and effort into? She is the dwelling place 
of her husband's heart. And the question is, are we that? And if we are, what should we look like? If this is the place that Jesus dwells, this is what we ought to be characterized by, this single-hearted devotion to our King. That's what it is. We don't live our life separate from the church. We don't live our life separate from Jesus. There's not the Jesus life and our life. The Bible says just the opposite. If we know Jesus, we don't have a life. It is His, and it is hidden in Him. And it's the same for the church. If we want to make an impact for the kingdom, we have to be about the church and about our Father's business. And this morning, I want to do, we're going to do one thing. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. And I think it's a, it's a great picture of a family meal. It's a great picture of that remembering Jesus together. Guys, this is for those who know Jesus. This is for those who have called him their Lord and their Savior. And so this morning, uh, I'm going to pray. And then we're, uh, Jimmy and the band's going to lead a song. And during that song, I want you to come take uh, the bread and the juice. And don't take it yet. I want you to take it back to your seats. I want to take it as a family. I want to take it as a church. God, this morning, we thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that you've made it clear that you have chosen to reach this world by using broken people. God, and you call them the church. God, and even more importantly, you call them your bride. God, that's what you call us. And one day you will come again for us. And you will ask, what have you done with what I've given you? Have you been about my business? When you look at your calendar, when you look at your checkbook, do you see me? Do you see what I do? And remind us of that this morning. God, that as we continue our journey as a church, that we take those things more and more seriously. God, that as we get into your word and we really see what you call us to do as a church. God, it really is not just a thing we do, God. It's who we are. It is our lifestyle. We are the bride of Christ. And one day you will come again for us. In your name we pray. Amen.